Good morning. In just a few years, we'll be gathering the kids up and we'll be going like this. We'll be going, this is a book. I know you've never seen one of these before. You open it up and it's got pages inside. You read it. Yeah. Thank you, J.E. Techno Youth Minister Extraordinaire. Good job. Children will be staying with us in our worship service through the month of December. And I want to remind you that next week we are having a children's ministry meeting or a meeting for people who would be interested in helping us with the children's ministry on Sunday morning, Sunday during the sermon, Wednesday night. We need a lot of help. We want to spread this out among a bunch of different people, not just putting it on the weight on a few people. And so we would ask you to come to that meeting next Sunday, right after church, right here in the fellowship hall. And uh, we'll make that brief about 10 minutes and uh, give you the plan for the year 2014 for our children's ministry. You are in for a treat today as Tim and Susie Neal are here from Midland, Texas. Most of you that are from Gateway know Tim and Susie. They're right here on the front row. You guys can say hi. There's Tim and Susie, and we're glad they're here. They help us with Mountain Family Fellowship every year. And uh, I'm just going to give you a little short introduction, and then I'm going to turn this over to Tim and uh, also Wyatt at the end as we think about connecting the dots today. The day was June 6th, 1944. What day was that? <laughs> yeah, good job, Kim. That's right. It was in Normandy, and over 23,000 people landed on Utah Beach. One of the men was Sergeant H.G. Nurhood. He was a platoon sergeant in the 4th Infantry Division. And each time he tried to move his men forward, the enemy fire fell right on their location as they moved. As a matter of fact, several of his men died trying to follow the orders of moving inland. And Sergeant Nurhood prayed for safety. He asked God to help. Please, right now, God, help us. And just as the enemy shells were right on top of them, they mysteriously stopped. Nurhood rarely talked about the war when he got home, but that was one story that he told numerous times over and over to his kids and his grandkids. And one of his grandson's names was Tommy, and he was especially struck by that story. It meant so much to him that that prayer had been prayed, and God had answered that prayer and saved his grandpa's life. So fast forward from 1944, about 40 years after D-Day, when the movie series came out called Band of Brothers. Many of you probably have watched that. A young man named Tommy, the grandson, was watching that movie, and he realized the reason that the shelling stopped on that beach was because a very brave man named Dick Winters had taken out the gunners who were bearing down on his grandfather. Though his grandfather had died a few years earlier, this young man, Tommy, wrote Lieutenant Winters to thank him. He wrote and said that if Lieutenant Winters had not done his part that day, that it was very likely his grandfather would have died. And consequently, Tommy said, I never would have been born. He had connected the dots between one incident that happened years earlier, and he was overwhelmed with gratitude when the dots got connected. We seldom in this life get to connect the dots. 
the amazing way that one person's actions have such far-reaching effects would probably overwhelm us if we could see it all. But occasionally, we do get to see the bigger picture, like Tommy did. And this morning, I I just got to tell you that you're going to be blessed to hear from Tim Neal, who spoke here just a little over a year ago. And he's going to connect the dots for us all the way from Ruidoso, New Mexico, to Kenya, Africa, in a way that just surprises and shocks me. And then Wyatt is going to connect some dots for us about the amazing work that's going on in Mexico. Would you guys give a huge gateway welcome to Tim Neal. Tim, I'm glad you're here. That's a good one. Well, I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, 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 This is one of my favorite places. I love this church. I love the way that you are uh, involved in uh, caring about the people who live in this community, about um, how you care about other churches and how you care about Christians of every kind and people who are not Christians and people who are far from Christ. And you've been uh, a great blessing to me and my family. It's been a pleasure to be able to help you with the Mountain Family Fellowship these last, I don't know, eight or nine years, long time. So uh, as John said, last year I was able to come and visit and tell you the story of God's amazing work in Kenya that's been going on through the efforts of uh, our church at Golf Course Road and a number of other uh, donors and Christians uh, in cooperation with churches that were established in Kenya some time ago. And I love this concept of connecting the dots. Um, because, you know, when you, you're doing one of those connect the dot things, you can tell how hard they are, not just by how many numbers are in it, but by whether you can see a pattern. I mean, right, normally you get those things and you go, okay, that's going to be something like this. And you may be surprised by one or two of the little turns, the little artistic turns that the picture takes, but you can kind of get a sense of what it's going to look like. Um, And you know, when you do a connect the dots, where to go next? They're numbered. (laughs) All you got to do is find the one. And sometimes, you know, the numbers are a little hard, maybe a little crowded, a little hard to find, but you always know where the next place to go is find that number and you know our lives here together as Christians as humans are are part of a giant connect the dots but it's too big for us to see there's no pattern you can't work it out just by seeing what you can see of it because you're not looking at it from uh, from the perspective of a page you're a dot And the stuff that happens to you during your life, the little events, the decisions you make, the things that happen around you, those are dots. And you don't know where the next one's going to be. And you don't know what the picture's going to look like when you're done. Because it's not your picture. It's God's picture. And he's he's drawing that picture. And I want to tell you just a a little bit about um, a way that God has been connecting the dots because I think it helps us to know 
that we're part of a big picture. And if, some, if you can explain how some of the dots work, can give you some, some encouragement about how to go forward in your life. But first, I want to pray for just a moment. Father, I thank you for the blessing of your church. I thank you for these people who are here and uh, who serve you in this place. I thank you for all the churches that have been meeting today and will continue to meet during this day. Uh, a big family of believers all across the world praising your name. Father, I pray that you pour on me today the gift of preaching, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, because of some of you were probably not here a year or so ago when I was telling this story, I do have to kind of give you a little bit of background. So, in the early 1990s, there was a man named John DeFore. He worked for Texaco in Corpus Christi. He was an oil man. He became a Christian as an adult. Uh, through the efforts of his wife, and he began volunteering his time at the Church of Christ where they attended in Corpus Christi, working in a program called World Bible School. A World Bible School is a 1950s-era correspondence course. People in foreign countries sign up to take lessons in the Bible from uh, teachers in America. They exchange lessons through the mail and we, let, we pray that the Holy Spirit does His work, and those people become Christians, and um, the kingdom is expanded. That's, that's the goal. So John was transferred to Midland, and when he, when he was transferred, he brought that passion for what he was doing to his new church at Golf Course Road in Midland. Um, by 1995, the, the work that John was doing he was concentrating in the country of Kenya, which is in East Africa. And he decided to travel there to meet some of his students. He'd had a number of students, and some of them had been exceptional, and he wanted to get to know them. His thought was, if, if I could meet some of these people and employ them to, co to go out and meet the new students whenever they're preparing, uh, whenever they're learning their lessons and they're, they think they're ready to be to, be, uh, to become Christians, that I, then they, could, they could help with that process. And so that's what he did. He traveled there, and he met several of those people, and he did hire them. And they did spend a lot of time uh, going from place to place, following up on World Bible School students, baptizing them, and helping them form into churches. Now, there's a dozen stories within that dot. There's probably 10,000 stories within that dot of individual lives that have been saved and touched by that one act of obedience. That John wanted to do, he wanted to do the work that God had called him to do, but he wanted to do it with excellence. And so he took it a step further and went there and hired these men. And that dot spawned 10,000 more, which will spawn millions more into the future. You see, John, he knew something and he believed it with all his heart. He knew that God had a plan for his life and for the world. He didn't know what it was, but he knew that God knew what the plan was. And so every step, every decision that he made, he knew that God was there guiding his steps through the Holy Spirit. And so amazing things were happening. That's a big dot. 
I love that dot. It's my favorite dot of the whole story. In 1989, I was living in Lubbock. I was attending Texas Tech. It was my fourth college since high school, and I was not making good progress. I had been raised in the Church of Christ, but I was not attending. I had turned my back on God, and I wasn't listening. And I knew something, too. Just like John did, I knew that in my heart, God expected great things from me. And so far, I was letting him down. I had no idea at the time. Looking back, it's easy to see that God had a plan for my life. But at that time, it didn't seem like it. I didn't trust him to execute the plan. I thought it was my responsibility, and I was failing. I met my wife, Susie, in a math class in summer school that she was taking for an easy A, and I was taking for the third time. (laughs) While we were dating, a series of tragedies began. Susie's grandfather, who she loved very dearly, um, he passed away after a long illness. Within a few months, her older brother, who she was very close to, was brutally murdered in a home in Amarillo. After that, and in the early part of 1989, her father father suffered a massive heart attack and died. Susie and I, we bonded during this time. I didn't know what my role was to be in that, but I knew that I couldn't leave her, that that what was happening was important, that looking back, it was a dot. And I had to say, I had to stay a part of what was happening uh, in her life. So later in that year, we were married. But Susie had two younger brothers who were staying with her mother. Her mother was uh, deaf from birth and had never completed high school. And she relied on her husband for just about everything. And so the boys presented a serious problem. They were 10 and 12. They were named Jose and Ruben. And they were entering a phase of rebellion. They'd lost their older brother. Her sister was not around um, very much. And they'd lost their father. And so they were getting in trouble. They were getting actually in a lot of trouble. And so it was, after they got into some serious trouble with the school, that Susie and I, after being married for six weeks, became parents of a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. Now Susie's mother moved to Wichita Falls to live with her sister, and the youngest did eventually go and stay with her. But Reuben, the oldest, was 12 at that time, He stayed with us, and we raised him. And I'm proud to say that he's he's a great Christian man with four boys. And, um, you know, I don't know why we went through all that. We certainly didn't know at the time. I mean, we didn't know to the point where we weren't sure that God was even involved. If he, he even was alive, it was really hard to imagine how he could let that happen. All that pain. 
all that suffering in such a short period of time. We had no idea why that would happen. But God knew he had a plan. And so another dot. After the birth of our second child, we knew that we needed some help, and we returned to church. We got connected to uh, a family of believers at the Monterey Church of Christ in in Lubbock, and uh, there were some people there who loved on us when we really needed it, and we'll be forever forever grateful to them. Um, But we were struggling still uh, financially. We did finally both graduate from college. But we were young, and we had a lot of responsibilities and not a lot of help. And it was a difficult time for us. Um, It it was very difficult. Then I finally, uh, in 1997, I got a job with a company. Well, I had a job with this company, and they transferred me to Midland. And it was a big promotion, and we were ecstatic. We moved to Midland, and we got connected with the Golf Course Road Church, um, where we still attend. I began volunteering in the multimedia ministry, which is one of the reasons that I've been able to be here so many times to help you guys out. And, um, but the job that I had was not going well. And after a, the people, I love the job, but the people I worked for weren't very ethical. And, and after I refused to do a price increase that was not allowed by our contracts, I was fired. And it was... It was hard for me. Anyone who's lost a job, especially a man, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you feel worthless and empty, and you worry about your family and had kids, lots of responsibilities. And I remember coming home on that day, and Susie was so happy. She really was so happy. She'd been praying for me to lose that job because I was miserable. <laughs> I wasn't very happy that she was happy, but <laughs> as, it, as it turned out, I was unemployed for less than a month because the elders at Golf Course Road had decided that they needed someone with technical experience to help them with the growing multimedia needs of the church, and so I was hired. And suddenly, I went from being miserable, alone, a failure, to being right in the center of God's will for the first time in my life. Another dot. But now back to the hero of the story, John DeFore. The work in Kenya was really taking off during this time, but... The young churches there were struggling because of the flood of orphans. Orphans were victims of AIDS, accidents, other diseases that had killed their parents and grandparents. Um, And one of John's workers there, a man named Thomas Alwala, had a dream to start an orphanage to care for the 45 kids that his church was already feeding. And he told John about his dream, and John told a Christian family at Golf Course Road about it, and they told another and another And soon, God began pouring money into the work. Orphanages were built. Feeding stations, feeding programs were established to help those that they couldn't house. And God's kingdom was was expanding at a dizzying rate. World Bible School at that time, and really to this day, was establishing a new church every month and baptizing a thousand people a year in Kenya. It was amazing to see But back home, almost no one knew about it. So in 2008, John asked me to go with him to Kenya and help him tell the story of uh, what had been happening. Now, 
I'm going to tell you, at the time, I had never been outside the U.S. except for Canada and Mexico, and I had a tidy little worldview that I'd repeated to myself so many times that I'd actually believed it. And you may know this worldview. It may have been repeated to you. I believe that when we as Christians, what we were to be doing is to be living good lives, to take care of our families, to go to church, to hang on until we die and go to heaven. If we can take somebody with us, that's a plus. That was the worldview that I'd grown up with. Uh, it's, it's an easy one to have. Um, the poor will always be with us. Heaven will be perfect, so our first priority should be to save some souls if we can before we die. But I went with John to Kenya, and I went to all these locations and saw all these people, and I saw for myself that the world was a whole lot bigger than I ever thought it was. And I began to believe that if God could use John to do what he'd been doing, that he could use me as well. So one evening on that trip in 2008, I'd taken a bunch of video and pictures, and I was in my hotel room, and I was going through the pictures in my computer, and I came across this one. And it's a beautiful picture, and I could tell that it could be the picture of the trip, the picture that we used to explain the work to be the face of what was happening in Kenya. But it seemed to me when I was working on it that the reflection in her eyes was a little wrong, not quite. Yeah, I don't know if you can see, it's kind of a weird shape. So I zoomed in on it, Photoshop at the ready, going to fix this, right? Going to make it perfect. And I zoomed into the picture and in her eyes, and I saw that the reflection in her eyes was me. You see, I was standing in a doorway. She was leaning against the doorframe. And she, the sun was behind me. And so she was, what I was seeing in her eyes was what she was seeing. She was seeing me. And what I represented to her as the white guy who'd come from across the ocean was hope. Something happened to me in that moment the biggest dot of my life. And I realized that I had a purpose far beyond what I'd ever expected. I knew that God was using his churches to redeem the lives of widows and orphans in Kenya. And he was not waiting for heaven to make everything new and that that was his plan all along. It was like getting a peek into the world's largest connected dot and seeing my place in it for the first time. I came to know that this uh, child's name is Lavinda. She was the daughter of one of the widows who worked at the orphanage, and she and her mother had lived a very difficult life. They'd been saved by the establishment of the orphanage there, but Lavinda was HIV positive, just as her mother was. After that, I traveled to Kenya several more times, helping, helping John, and I took thousands of pictures and saw thousands of orphans and none of them were as precious to me as Lavenda. And in 2010, the elders at Golf Course Road, realizing the scope of the ministry had gotten so big, uh, asked us to form an independent nonprofit uh, that would carry on the work. And while we were forming that organization, John DeFore told me it was my time to leave. And I was he hesitant. 
is a huge responsibility. It's a big work, lots of people, lots of donors, and lots of innocent people relying on, in my mind, me. Well, see, I was remembering back on my old habits. Uh, it's not about God's plan, it's about what can I do? You know, how effectively will I pull this off? And that's a lie that Satan tells us. It's not about how effectively you can pull it off. Honestly, the worse you are, almost the better, because God gets all the glory when something amazing happens. Um, I got an email while I was going through that period of hesitancy, uh, and they told me that Lavenda had died. She'd finally succumbed to the plague that she was born with, and a symptom of the fall, and the curse that was on the earth. And I knew I could not turn my back. So since then, I've traveled to Kenya many times, and I've seen with my own eyes the children that he's redeeming through the power of his church. And I know that he has a plan. Last year, uh, John asked me to, uh, to come here and tell you part of the story, and I told you a longer, probably much better version of that story uh, without my part. And um, it was a great visit. It was the first time I've really spoken to a church in America, and since then I've done it several times, and, and um, it was a blessing. Just like all the other dots in life, we don't know that they're dots until they happen. We don't know what's going to come of them. And that's one of the great lessons I learned from John DeFore in going through this whole process, and that is you just put it out there. You just tell the story. It's God's story anyway. It's not yours. So you tell that story, and if somebody responds to it, that's great. And if they don't, they heard a great story. You're still speaking the truth. So just put it out there. And so we did. And we had a great visit. When we got home to Midland, one of the elders of our church called me during the week, and he said, were you in Riadosa this weekend? I said, yes. He said, did you preach there? Yes. He said, there's a man that I know, he's actually my boss, and he, uh, he was there, and he heard you speak, and he was deeply moved. And I said, really? Yeah. I said, well, no one, he didn't come to me. He said, no, he and his wife were crying, and they couldn't speak, so they just left. But when they got home, they realized this person that they knew, the, our elder, had been to Kenya before, and he called him and asked if it might be the same work, and they connected the dots, and sure enough, it was. And so he asked to meet with me, and Susie and I met with him and his wife, and because of that, the 14th orphanage in the KWO system, which takes our total to 2,453 orphans and widows who are being redeemed by the love of Christ, was built because he walked in the door of Gateway Church of Christ last year to fulfill his obligation, duty, call to worship, don't know. He's a visitor. You probably, you would probably not know him, um, but I bet he'll be here again. He's been actually coming for a long time. And he just happened to walk in the door that day and he just happened to hear what I had to say because all the things that I had to say just happened to happen. Because God's painting this beautiful picture 
And it's more than a connected dot. It's more than, it's more than a two-dimensional black and white drawing with lines on it. It's a tapestry. It's three-dimensional. It's color that you can't imagine. It's vivid and it's woven. And every one of us has a part to play. And some of us are short little strands and some of us are long ribbons of gold and we don't know which one we are. And it doesn't matter because we're a part of that plan. So as you go from here today, I want you to think about what's my role in God's plan. Lavenda's role, I don't know what all God had planned for her life. I know he did not want anyone to live a tragic short life like that. But he used her beyond what most get used just to be that face, just to be that beautiful, just to be staring you in the face right now. Her short life has so much meaning. And maybe I'll do this for another 50 years, or maybe I won't. Maybe God will have something else. But he's building a big, beautiful picture of what our life can be. I just want to read a short piece from James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and all evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thanks for letting me be here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. And I know God's going to keep using you as a dot and connecting them. Um, I just wanted to visit with you a little bit about Mexico and um, connect a few dots there for you also. Um, a lot of you know I go down there and you don't really know what I do or why I go down there. Um, but there is a church there that has a ministry where they have an evangelistic school along with the church and they have an orphanage down the street that they that's a part of that community. Uh, and so I just go over there to help with that. And it's a pretty amazing thing because when they have this school, they end up with about 10 students every year that dedicate a whole year of their life to studying the Bible to become evangelists. And some of them become evangelists. Uh, most of them don't become evangelists in the sense that we think of an evangelist. Uh, but one thing that happens is a lot of times... a, a a man and his wife will both go through 
and they'll study intensely the Word of God for a year, and it changes who they are. And wherever they serve, wherever they're part of a church or community, it impacts that church and that community. Uh, but God uses some of them in amazing ways. Uh, anyway, I got a letter from the, the minister of that church. He's one of the teachers, and he's the minister there. They have uh, two ministers there. And he sent me a letter I wanted to. Uh, I, I translated and had so I could read it to you today, and I want to share that with you. God's love, brothers in Christ, uh, we want you who get this letter to enjoy the sweet fragrance of God. Uh, Brother Sergio Erigon is working with a new church in a small town of Yamado, 12 hours south of Juarez. Uh, and that name doesn't mean anything to you, uh, but he was a student at the evangelist school there and graduated in 2011, December of 2011, and uh, I got to meet him, and I took pictures of all of them and had them write a little testimonial about their life, and he was one of them that did that, and here's what he wrote in that testimonial. Hello, my name is Sergio Aragon. I was born in Guadalupe, Nuevo, Leon, but for 10 years, I lived in a small town near Durango. My parents were always with me and gave me enough economically, uh, but never loved uh, or a, never love or a good home life. Little by little, I began to feel alone and empty. At 14, I arrived in Ciudad de Juarez and tried to be independent. Uh, I joined a gang. I entered the world of drugs and began looking for something to help me. Uh, during these years, as a, a drug user, I always longed for love. I was involved with Satanism. I, at work, I found a young guy who had been in the same situation but had found Christ. He shared his experiences and invited me to church. I had my doubts. This right transform, transformed my life. Jesus Christ is the answer. My sins were washed away, and now I am a new person. I am preparing to preach the word of God and teach, teach that is all we need. Let me continue the letter. Uh, idolatry is very strong here, but the gospel is the power of God, and we are reaching souls for Christ. We want to tell you a testimonial from a family that we reached for Christ. It is a family of three. Mr. Roberto is 55 but suffered a stroke and is unemployed. His wife also suffered a stroke, and her 24-year-old daughter is mentally ill. She carries around a stuffed animal and says it is her son. The house where they live is very destroyed. 
if you've been to Mexico and you see where they live and then they say, this house is destroyed, they, they mean it's destroyed. <laughs> uh, when we knew and looked at their extreme poverty, we brought them some food and got some materials to repair their home a little and told them about God's love. They were very happy and are now a part of the new church. To show God's love to this family brought a good witness in the community and more people we get to hear the gospel. Praise God for what he is doing in this community and for his glory. God's love, brothers. Thanks for the support, for supporting us faithfully with offerings and prayers so that we can continue to carry the gospel to other places where they may know our Lord Jesus Christ. Loving siblings, we join the words of Paul who said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, it's another dot. Uh, we take a few groceries. We take a few comfort things down there. We take some encouragement down there so that they can stay in a school for a year, not working, uh, giving themselves to, to understand God's word, to spread that gospel and that good news. Um, I was in Anapra, which is a suburb of, of Juarez about uh, two or three months ago and um, the, uh, Carlos and his wife Carmen uh, are ministers there and, and I take them a lot of support and try to help them so they can stay teaching at the school uh, so anyway we went to get some menudo and uh, Carlos had an older brother and they make good menudo so we went down to get some menudo and when I went there, uh, they said, uh, we have a request of you. Uh, would you pray for Ms. Carlos's brother's wife? Would you pray for her? And, and first of all, I, I, I said, well, what's going on? She, she had had surgery on her hip and was confined to bed, bedridden. Uh, and first of all, I was very humbled that they asked because who was I uh, that they should think my prayers would be uh, worth receiving for her. Uh, so I said, I'd be glad to pray for her. Uh, we went in. She was an elderly woman. Uh, she had had hip surgery. Uh, she was a large woman she couldn't get around she couldn't get out of bed she was bedridden but she had a spirit of, of, of type of person that smiles all the time is is happy even in the midst of of uh, pain and agony uh, and so I prayed in English and they probably didn't understand a word I said <laughs> you know but that that kind of changed my way of thinking because I thought 
you know, here here at the church where I, I get to serve as an elder, we have people come and ask for our prayers, and they know we love them, and 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 they know we want to pray for them, and we're connected. Well, here was a situation with somebody I wasn't really connected to, but yet she was seeking my prayers. And there's a scripture in James that talks about if anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders and be anointed with oil and, and prayers. But the part of that that always haunted me is the part where it says, the prayers of a righteous man availeth a lot. <laughs> and that haunts me because I look at myself and say, am I a righteous man? I want my prayers to be effective. And so I want to be righteous. And so I went through a period of time saying, I've got, to, I've got to do this. I've got to be more righteous. I've got to be in the word more. I've got to change who I am. I've got to let the Holy Spirit work on me because I want to be righteous so that my prayers will be effective. And this woman, I thought, if she was in the United States, she would be getting all kinds of physical therapy and help to, to, with her to get out of, of bed. And here in this situation, she was getting nothing. And we have a good friend that's a, a doctor in physical therapy. And, and I thought, maybe I'll call him on the phone and say, you got to go to Juarez and help this woman. You know, because I was searching for, for uh, what I could do. And I say this because the a month later I went down and she was up using her walker and starting to move around. Okay. The last time I went down, I took my hamburger grill and, and grilled some hamburgers down there. She came in the most brightly colored dress, you know, and sat there and ate one of my greasy hamburgers smiling and being a part of the, the body there. And I just praise God that she had had that kind of healing, that she could get out and get around. But when I started thinking about it, I realized that the effective prayer of a righteous man is all of us. You know why? Because when I read in Romans, it says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. And listen to this. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, my righteousness is from God, from Christ who I believe in. And so... My effectiveness prayer as righteousness is not even my righteousness. It's God's righteousness that's been lavished on me because I believe who he is. You see? And so all of a sudden, for us to be striving, if I could just be a little more righteous in my prayers, it'd be a little more effective. How, how silly is that? You see? But when I allowed God's righteousness to come into me and be a part of me, then... My prayers are effective because of his righteousness, not because of my righteousness. And so 
really the good news, the gospel, is that that righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ is available to each and every one of us. And when we run into somebody in the world, we, we should know they need that good news, that that righteousness comes from God and is not a work that they obtain or they do. And that very message needs to be spread here as well as in Kenya, as well as in Mexico. And a lot of times we have to get our foot in the door, our witness in the door by doing physical things that help them. Whether it's taking some groceries over, whether it's taking a microwave over, whether it's building an orphanage, whether it's helping them with a church, whatever it is, whether it's drilling wells, you know, they got a program now that's drilling wells in Ethiopia. That is just a foot in the door, a witness to who Christ is, who the Lord we serve is, so that we can really give them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, there are going to be opportunities for us to do good. You know how I know that? Because Ephesians says God created us to do good works. That's what you were created for. And then he created those good works, those opportunities for us to do. And sometimes we connect the dot and sometimes we don't. And that's okay. You know, because God's prepared more opportunities for us to take advantage of. Um, and I really want to extend an invitation. And that is, if you haven't let, let God come into your life and let you be a part of the kingdom of God and a part of the gospel, the work that's going on, you're missing it. You're missing the love. You're missing the righteousness that comes through our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you uh, for being a part of the ministry that's going on in Mexico. Thank you for being a part of the ministry that's going on in Kenya. Thank you for being a part of the ministry that's going on right here in this community. Because it makes God smile when we let him work through us. If you need prayers or if there's anything we can do, uh, for you, or if you want to know more about the gospel, if you want to be baptized and have your sins washed away, this is a time when that opportunity uh, is made available to you as we sing together.